Jesus said, Go, call your husband, and come back. What if, just what if, the woman at the well had responded, Sure, okay, I'll go and get my husband, and then I'll be right back, Jesus. Just wait right here. I'll be right back. That was the question that came to my mind as I prayed over our gospel passage for this weekend. After Jesus enters into this this beautiful conversation with the woman at the well, he intrigues her with this living water that he promises to give to her or to anyone who would ask him for it. It's a beautiful conversation. He's drawing her in. He's attracting her to himself. And after all of that, the woman turns to the Lord and she says to him from the bottom of her soul, Sir, give me this water. I want what you are offering. I want this pure, refreshing, and satisfying drink so that I may not be thirsty anymore or have to keep coming back to this well over and over and over again. And that's when it happens. Jesus then instructs her, go, call your husband, and come back. It's as if he's saying to her, all right, so you say that you want this water. You claim that you you really do want this constant stream of goodness and life. Good. I am more than willing to give that to you. In fact, I thirst for you. I thirst for your faith, for your soul to come and drink this living water so that you can have abundant life. But first, you gotta be honest with me. You have to come to me on my terms, not yours. So go ahead and call your husband. It's a fascinating test, isn't it? Because, of course, Jesus knows this woman's story in and out. He created her. He intimately understands everything that she has ever been through. But what if she had tried hiding part of her story? Or what if she didn't see any problem at all with her current state of life and just responded, okay, sure, no problem, Jesus. I'll go get my husband. Just wait here, BRB. Would Jesus have played along with her version of the truth? Would he have allowed her to go on living that untruth? She wasn't married. That was the objective fact. So would Jesus have pretended otherwise? Of course not, is the answer. Now, thankfully, the Samaritan woman was a good and honest soul. And though she certainly had a broken past, and though she certainly had many deep wounds, and despite the fact that she, like each one of us, was not perfect, she felt safe enough with Jesus to speak the truth. I do not have a husband. The words are so simple, and they're offered without any kind of explanation or any self-justification. It's just the bare facts. It's just the truth about this woman. 
Where did she find the courage to be so honest? Perhaps there was something about the way that that Christ looked at her. His eyes pierced her soul, encouraging her to let him in. Perhaps she knew deep down, well, there's, there's really no use trying to hide from this one. And besides, I don't want to. How could I try to hide from this look of love? Jesus always seems to have that effect, doesn't he? He, he elicits truth. He summons us to be our real selves, to come as we truly are, yes. And we are exposed to him. And there's no use hiding anything from him because he knows us. He intimately understands us and our struggles. We're safe with Jesus. Remember also all of those times that that Jesus performed exorcisms. The devils themselves cried out, You are the Son of God. Even those hardened liars, the fallen angels themselves, they were also held captive by him, and they couldn't help but speak the truth in his presence. Jesus is truth. Lies boil away before his face. They're reduced to ash and dust. And only the truth can remain before him. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Everything. The whole thing. He came to testify to the truth. And only the truth shall set you free. So we return again to the Samaritan woman's honest answer. Lord, I don't have a husband. This is, this is who I am. This is where I'm at. There's no use pretending otherwise. Jesus' heart must have leapt at her sincerity. Yes, the Father desires adorers. He desires worshipers such as this. He wants open and defenseless and contrite hearts. But he wants to draw this woman even closer. He wants to attract her to the living waters that he has prepared for her. He came to help the helpless, right? He came to die for the ungodly, as St. Paul put it so beautifully in our second reading this weekend. There is no condemnation in his words toward this woman. And yet, he also doesn't mess around, does he? In fact, he is brutally honest back to her. You are right in saying, I do not have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Look at what Jesus is doing here. With masterful gentleness, he does not shy away from the truth about this beloved woman. Quite the contrary, actually. He goes even deeper into her darkness. He reveals to her the full extent of her woundedness. He names her whole story. Why does he do that? Why doesn't he just leave this poor lady alone? Isn't he judging her? Isn't he just pointing out her flaws unnecessarily? Isn't he just bringing up all sorts of bad memories? Doesn't Jesus know that we have to approve and affirm everyone? on their terms. We have to enthusiastically affirm all of their life choices, go along with their new religious beliefs, or more likely, 
their new unbelief? Doesn't he know that we have to use their pronouns, agree with their version of reality? Doesn't the Lord understand that the individual gets to define what's real about them? That each of us gets to invent the deepest meaning and ultimate direction for our existence. I think we're really wrong on this front. We have wandered away from the truth, but it's a lot easier to do that, isn't it? To play along with untruth. We much prefer to just kind of go along with unreality, just so that we can keep the peace, to be nice, to be kind, to show our friends and family that we love and care about them unconditionally. But actually, when we do that, we're actually doing just the opposite. Unconditional love must not be reduced to unconditional affirmation. But that's where our society is at right now. We've unfortunately lost the ability to make the elementary distinction between judging someone, which is always bad, of course, and recognizing objective truth about actions and about decisions. The word mercy is all too often equated with being okay with sin. The popular word accompaniment translates often enough to not saying what really actually needs to be said. We have largely forgotten what leads to real human flourishing. So we tend to just reduce all of our ethics down to the sad and the selfish phrase, you do you. But Jesus desires so much more for us. He wants to give us living waters. Why do we try settling for dead, muddy, confusing, ambiguous waters that will not satisfy when Jesus, the way, truth, and life is offering us something so much better? What we need now more than ever is to meet Jesus at the well and allow him to speak the full truth over us. He knows who we are better than we do, and he delights in each one of us. He thirsts for our faith. We need him to re-educate us about who we are, what we have truly done, and how much God really does love us despite everything. The theologian Luigi Giussani, guess what? He's, he's Italian. I don't know if you noticed. He said this, True education is nothing more than an introduction to reality. Education is nothing more than an introduction to reality. And that is what Christ was doing with this woman at the well. He was introducing her to the whole reality, the whole truth about herself, about God, about mercy, and about conversion. That's what he eagerly desires to do in each one of our lives as well. But here, we run into a really big problem, don't we? Because most of the time, we would rather not face the truth, right? We'd sort of rather invent 
a truth about ourselves. We are a lot like those Israelites who in our first reading today are wandering around aimlessly in the desert after being freed from slavery in Egypt. And they're getting impatient, right? They're, they're getting bitterly tired. And they're getting really, really thirsty. And they started to reinvent their past. They started to believe a lie. And so they grumbled against Moses. Why did you ever make us leave Egypt? Was it just to have us die here of thirst with our children and our livestock? Let that question sink in for just a second. Why did you ever make us leave Egypt? They're forgetting their past. They're forgetting their history. And not too distant history, I might add. Because they were slaves in Egypt not very long ago. They had no freedom. They were miserable. They are basically saying to God's face right here and now, we prefer slavery to you, God. We, pers- we prefer to live a lie. So send us back to our chains and our toil. That's what we want. What if God had played along with all of that nonsense? What if he had responded to his chosen people, the people that he loved? Oh, okay, my mistake. You were happier in Egypt, you say. Well, that you were better off there, I guess. Well, you're probably right. I mean, you know best. You do you. Go on back to Egypt. I won't bother you anymore. Now, thankfully, the living God did not do that. No. God knows what's best for us. Period. He knows our story. He knows our whole past. He knows what we need most desperately. And what do we need but him? What do we need but him? And so he sends his only son to come and sit next to a well and encounter our souls there. And he offers us the living waters of his Holy Spirit, welling up in us life eternal. He offers us his grace. He offers us his doctrine, clearly. And he offers us his authoritative teaching revealed through his church. He refuses, time and time again, to play along with our untruths and offers instead to quench our deepest thirst to be known and loved and to live in that truth. So with the Samaritan woman, that good and honest soul, let us say to our Lord with all sincerity of heart, Sir, give us that water always. He will not refuse.